You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers, where we discuss the business of sports from the NCAA all the way up to the major leagues. And uh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, folks. Uh, COVID-19 ravaging through what seems like every major sport right now, uh, college or otherwise. We've got UFC coming up this weekend, one of the biggest pay-per-views in a long, long time. Um, A whole host of uh, NFL storylines, NBA storylines. And the return of the Olympics to the show, which is something we haven't talked about in uh, a little bit of time lately. We're going to have a whole segment devoted to the Olympics today. Um, some wild news out of Tokyo yesterday, as, uh, as is the case across most of the world right now. Again, coronavirus continues to plague sports uh, and plague big business as well. So um, with that, we'll, we'll jump right into it, and uh, we're going to start with the Olympics. So um, if you've been a long-time listener to the show, uh, you've heard a little bit of the discussion of the cost that Olympics have, um, the cost on a host city, and, uh, I mean, there are potential benefits as well. Uh, we've talked about those. Um, and today we're really going to focus on a question that a lot of people have been asking for uh, over a calendar year at this point. And that is, are the originally the 2020 Olympics, um, which have now become the 2021 Olympics due to the coronavirus delay, are those Olympics in Tokyo actually going to happen? Um, and we've, we've had a few updates um, recently, albeit not too encouraging. Um, and uh, that, that being said, Japan uh, and the International Olympic Committee, um, they're determined to hold the Olympic Games. The official statement still is that they are going to hold the Olympic Games. Um, that being said, there was a report recently that came out, um, came out of Tokyo um, it said that Japan plans to cancel the Tokyo Olympic Games. Um, I mean, it has been strongly denied um, by Japan's Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary, Manubu Sakai. Um, he, sa- he told reporters there's no truth whatsoever um, in the stories that emerged early this morning, uh, stating that the event was set to be called off due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, however, Japan did just recently enter a state of emergency um, due to the coronavirus. Growing cases there, growing deaths. Uh, it's not looking good for sports in general, let alone an event as large as the Olympics. Um, obviously, public opinion has been swaying strongly towards canceling this event altogether. Um, but there have been billions and billions of dollars already spent in infrastructure, uh, impending delays, increased advertising, building stadiums, all the things that we've talked about in the past, the general cost associated with an Olympics, uh, that's about 150% of the average Olympics at this point, um, just due to the cancel or the delay of the event. Uh, and at this point, there is no plan B. Um, if they can't move forward this year, 2021, with these Olympics, they're not going to delay it again. Um, the costs are just astronomical. And if, if the event were to be canceled, we're talking about, um, I'd say, a once-in-a-lifetime event uh, 
in reality, it's actually only the games have only ever been canceled one time before. Um, it's kind of the Olympics mo that they don't cancel. Um, the Olympics are supposed to be something you come together, you rally around each other, and every country is always performing no matter what. I mean, we've had world wars, uh, and the Olympics still happen. So this would definitely be something of note, something that would go into the history books, and something that would cost the Japanese government a lot of money. Um, going into a little bit more detail as to why, personally, I think that the games will be canceled. Uh, and one of them is... I think the elephant in the room is the spectator decision. Um, a lot of the revenue that is generated by an Olympic game for the host city has to do with the fans that attend the games, um, whether it just be bringing people into the local cities, um, getting local businesses, that extra business, or all the pop-up businesses, um, the demand that people have. I mean, all of a sudden you're tripling the amount of people that would be in a specific area. So you have all these opportunities for new businesses. And then you just have the 15,000 international athletes expected to convene in Tokyo ahead of these Olympic Games. I mean, they build an Olympic city, um, and, and inside that city, it's not like everything is free. You have 15,000 athletes alone um, that are pouring in and, and becoming a part of that local economy for a month. Um, so whether or not all 15,000 of those athletes are going to be allowed to attend, let alone the millions on millions of spectators, um, could have a huge potential financial impact on the Japanese government. Obviously, the IOC, the Olympic Committee, is going to be affected as well. Um, organizers are expected to decide in the coming weeks whether the coronavirus risks have eased enough to let spectators attend these games um, that's clearly going to be a huge motivator. If I had to guess, if, uh, if they're not going to allow fans, I, I don't see a way that they're going to be able to move forward with this game. Um, the TV revenue uh, through NBC is obviously astronomical. It's about over a $5 billion TV deal. Um, but uh, that alone can't carry a game where, uh, to this day, they've stated that they've spent over $27 billion in infrastructure alone. Um, so we'll see what happens with Tokyo moving forward. Uh, again, the Japanese seem fairly confident. Um, I don't seem fairly confident. And uh, on this show, you know that I'm, I tend to skew a little more to the optimistic side of things. So um, I would not have your fingers crossed for a 2021 Olympics. Uh, breaking down the finances a little bit more, um, the way the Japanese have been reporting the cost of these games has been a little unusual. Um, they announced that they think the games will cost $12.6 billion. That was their initial figure. Um, they did have a contingency fund um, where they were willing to spend an extra $30 billion. Um, that's been shipped into now. That the cost has been raised above $27 billion at this point and climbing. Uh, and there was a recent audit just because it, it doesn't really follow the amount that the Japanese have been spending on this Olympics. So if you go back, um, and I don't want to go into too much history of the games, but if you go back, cities used to invest millions of dollars in evaluating and preparing and executing an Olympic Games. Uh, 
back in the 1970s, the average cost was around $150 million to host the games. Um, meanwhile, Athens uh, in 2004 spent a little over $2 billion. And since then, it just has been climbing and climbing. Um, but it is typical for, at least initially, uh, the economic costs of the games to result in a loss for whatever the host city or host country may be. Um, 2008 Summer Olympics generated $3.6 billion in revenue, uh, compared to over $40 billion in costs. London Summer Games in 2012 generated $5 billion uh, in revenue, compared to $18 billion in costs. So we can see that um, these Olympic Tokyo Games, they're right in the middle in terms of the average cost, but where they're going to be hit the hardest is they're not going to generate the kind of revenue that a normal game would. Um, even if it's just due to a lack of athletes, a lack of events, I mean, we've seen in other sports how if you don't have all the top performers in the sport playing, if you're missing an event, if you have reschedulings, um, let alone if you don't have fans in the stadium, you don't have the opportunity for revenue that you would otherwise. Uh, and perhaps more importantly, most of the time when cities, uh, when cities host an Olympic Games, they're prepared to take an initial financial loss. Um, that's a pretty normal occurrence as far as the Olympics go. Uh, what tends to inspire cities to still bid for, uh, for the Olympics to be hosted in their city uh, is the long-term effects that you should see. Um, increased exposure, obviously, um, for the city and the country as a whole. There is a certain level of pride and um, that goes into hosting an Olympic Games, and although that's not going to help you financially, uh, it's definitely good to get your country that kind of exposure. But from a financial standpoint, long term, um, the infrastructure that goes into building an Olympics, uh, the brand new stadiums, um, and as we know, we've talked about the overstated economic impact that a brand new stadium can have. Um, but that being said, it does still benefit. Um, a local city economy when you build a brand new sports stadium. So long term, uh, that could benefit the city. There's also the Olympic Village, um, which, believe it or not, uh, usually is not occupied long term afterwards. But many of the businesses that spring up in that Olympic Village become mainstays in those cities. So that could be a long term net positive as well. With that being said, if none of these, uh, if none of these stadiums, if the Olympic Village, if all the infrastructure built in, all the money that's already been spent, if that doesn't even go to use in an Olympics, it's a huge loss. Not only, uh, I mean, for the world to not have an Olympics, but for Tokyo as a city. I mean, they've sunk thirty billion dollars um, as a city into this, and it's going to cause major problems. Um, now closing out our discussion of the Olympics here. Long-term, obviously, you've got the 2024 um, Los Angeles Olympics, and I can't imagine a scenario where COVID happens to be a problem by then, but this just shows the risks that a city can take and a country can take in hosting an Olympic Games. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about Los Angeles uh, as this show goes on. We'll talk about the potential risks they face and, and what they can do to avoid um, the kind of fallout that Tokyo is going to have. Um, but overall, just a big mess in Tokyo, big mess for the International Olympic Committee. Um, 
and not good for the sports world when you have such a major event uh, in such turmoil. With that being said, um, we're going to move on in our next segment. Um, a little preview of our next segment. We're going to talk NBA. If you're an NBA fan, you know there have been some issues. Um, we'll talk forecast for this season, uh, forecast for the salary cap next year, how that's going to affect the impending renewal of the TV deals, a little bit about China. Um, always got to talk a little bit about China when you talk about the NBA. Uh, and, and overall, just examining the state of uh, the state of the sport um, and uh, how coronavirus has been impacting everything and hint, uh, hint, hasn't been great. Uh, with that being said, we'll send it to a short break. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. everybody welcome back to america's web radio and welcome back to billion dollar ballers for our second segment an nba basketball that's right uh season that's uh jumped out to a an interesting start so far after all of the success with the nba bubble um as you'll remember last year saved the league 1.5 billion dollars um very successful Playoff atmosphere crowned the Los Angeles Lakers the champion and made a lot of businessmen involved in the league and women involved in the league a lot more money than they probably anticipated. Um, the NBA came back this season. They, they tried to do it without having a bubble. Um, and as, uh, as we predicted on the show many months before, based on the issues that the NFL has had all season long, um, it, it's always a challenge when you have professional athletes um, whose full-time job, yes, is to play basketball, but who have families, who have um, other commitments, commercial shoots, television shows, movies, advertise the whole nine yards, everything that these professional athletes have to do uh, in a disease, a virus that's as contagious as COVID-19, it's obviously going to be difficult um, to completely contain a virus unless you're in that bubble environment. And as predicted, um, this is causing major problems for the NBA now. 
Um, there's been a string of games postponed. In fact, on Monday afternoon, the NBA announced the game between the Pelicans and Mavericks that was scheduled for that evening, as well as the Tuesday night game of this week between the Celtics and Bulls were postponed due to COVID-19 related issues. Um, some of the stars in the league have began to speak up saying how, uh, one, it's not fair to the athletes, and, and two, the league needs to do better in handling this. Um, two more contests off the upcoming schedule. The NBA has postponed now at least one game for uh, five consecutive days at this point, actually. So um, it, it's not a problem that's slowing down. As of last Sunday, there were more than two dozen players that remained in quarantine or isolation uh, in accordance with the NBA's health and safety protocols. That's according to The Athletic. Uh, the league's seen multiple teams complete games with rosters that, if, if you're a casual fan, you might barely recognize. Um, not to mention the games where there simply aren't enough players on the roster to compete. Now, keep in mind, you only need eight players on a roster to compete, so... Um, we're talking about situations here where the vast majority of an organization is unavailable. And, and we've talked about it. The NBA's viewership numbers across the board are down right now. And when when you have uh, the Los Angeles Lakers playing a game, just, just for an example, and um, Ron James and Anthony Davis aren't in the game, two of the biggest stars on the planet aren't in the game, uh, you can see why the fans aren't uh, as enthusiastic about wanting to consume this content. Um, it's an issue we've seen with the NFL. It's an issue that we saw uh, certainly with the NHL. It's really the only thing that seemed to be untouched by all of this is the UFC, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But, I mean, that's a single-person sport. I mean, you've got – you really, for the UFC to move forward, you need two fighters and a referee. Uh, for the NBA to move forward, there's a whole lot more moving pieces. Um, so – with all these ratings down, you have the obvious impact of long-term TV deals that are about to renew in a few years. Are these companies willing to pay the same amount um, when they haven't been getting the same amount of eyeballs? I mean, you've got to remember here that the, the value of these TV contracts, uh, which in turn is what allows the NBA, allows the NFL to operate without fans in the stadium, the fact that over 60% of their general revenue is coming from these television contracts. Um, the value of the contracts is entirely driven by how many people are watching, uh, how much are advertisers going to be willing to pay the distributor of these games uh, in order to have their product in front of the fan. Um, and if less people are watching, they have a case to argue for lower TV contracts, which in turn means lower salary caps, uh, paying your stars less, less super teams, it's a domino effect, folks, and it's, um, it's not looking good for the NBA right now. Um, that being said, the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association will be meeting next Monday um, to discuss how to modify current protocols. General managers are also set to have a call with the league on Monday. That's according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, they'll be discussing the following topics shoot around in practice lengths, socializing on the court before and after games, uh, restrictions on restaurant dining, and tighter rules on mask wearing. Uh, NBA veteran and now analyst Jamal Crawford 
had this to say, saying, quote, expand the rosters, sign players that are in a pool, G League vets, whatever, so there are available bodies, games can continue, end quote. Um, we'll take a minute to break that down. I mean, it's an interesting concept. Um, again, I, I mean, my position has always been if you dilute the talent of a league, um, you de-incentivize the fans to watch, you lower the quality long-term, that's going to have a net negative effect on your league. Now, I guess the question is, um, what's the bigger net negative, a lower quality um, or a, a delayed season entirely? I mean, I think we've seen um, through the bubble to that point that a, a delayed season can work. Um, at the rate the games are getting delayed now, uh, it really poses the question that we want to delay games or the season entirely. Uh, and it's just kind of sad because we're seeing other sports um, persevere, get through it, that haven't had quite as many issues. And, and a certain part of you has to think, well, won't they? Won't enough of them get the virus eventually that this problem will start to slow? Uh, I don't have all the answers. I don't think the league has all the answers. The bottom line is there are a lot of questions. Um so eventually they may have to talk about temporarily shutting the league down. Um, but the one thing that you can be sure of, as we've always talked about on this show, they're going to do whatever is the best financial decision for the owners. Um, these owners don't, they quite frankly, don't care about the players. Um, and the only reason that they care about the fans um, is that you're going to keep coming back and paying for their products. So, Long-term, whatever they deem um, the best financial decision moving forward or speculate will be the best financial decision moving forward is how they're going to proceed. Um, but as of now, um, expect more delayed games um, and expect more and more losses for the NBA. Uh, Mark Cuban, um, probably the most high-profile owner in the NBA uh, of the Dallas Mavericks, he said that he's already expecting to lose more than $100 million personally um, just due to the NBA's current COVID-19 arena protocols. So you can imagine how that would increase exponentially uh, if there was a delay or a further shortened season. Um, as we've discussed, the, the season's already shortened from 82 games to 72 this year. Um, already less events, so obviously less revenue there, but uh, I do want to stress that everyone always makes these owners out to be the bad guy in this situation. But um, what, what you have to think about from a fan's perspective, I understand being a huge NBA fan myself, how this can be difficult. But um, NBA owners are nothing more than investors. They view their teams as a long-term asset, uh, and it's a pretty fruitful asset um, at, the, at the rate that, the value of these teams is appreciating right now. Um, I mean, if they're losing $100 million, uh, they're going to be upset about it. So if, if the best financial decision for them is to shut down the league, they could care less how much you want to watch NBA basketball. Um, they're going to do what's in their financial best interest. So as a sports fan, just be aware of that. Um, and once you start to view everything through that lens, 
it'll start to make a lot more sense, a lot of the decisions that these owners are making. A um, couple minutes left in the segment. I figure we'll jump over and talk about college basketball a little bit um, because they, too, are wrestling with hurdles caused by COVID-19. And conference tournaments are looming right now. So um, as we've discussed, the conference tournaments uh, at the end, March Madness tournament, these are the major, major revenue drivers for college basketball. Um, just the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, they're going to make up 40% alone of uh, all the revenue generated by college basketball. So um, no small problem that they're considering canceling uh, or teams are considering dropping out of their tournament. Um, 32 men's college basketball games have been postponed since Sunday uh, and another 15 already removed from calendars for this upcoming weekend. Uh, in, in the latest example of how this 2020-2021 season has just been such a struggle to move forward. Um, as with the college football season, um, which navigated through tons of outbreaks and cancellations to reach the college football playoff, uh, the college basketball regular season is stumbling over itself. Um, just in an attempt to get to the finish line that is the NCAA tournament. Um, and that is scheduled still to begin on March 18th. Um, now, in contrast to the college football playoff, where you have the nation's four best teams competing for a national championship, uh, you have a 68-team bracket with the NCAA tournament. It's a lot to break down here in a short amount of time, but I'll try to simplify it as best I can. Um, it, I guess it's not overly complicated. If you cancel one one of these games out of the 68-team bracket, the rest of the bracket is delayed. Um, so the problem then comes, again, you have advertising money having been spent on all of these channels for predetermined dates, and it's very, very difficult uh, to switch these events to different days, different times, there's a whole cascading effect of, of parties involved that are going to be affected by this. Um, so the question comes, what to do with the NCAA tournament? They're not going to cancel it, I'll tell you that much. They're making far too much money. They're dependent on it. Um, and as we've seen with the canceled college football season, I mean, you had an entire athletic department to be taken down, schools, that no longer have any sports or no longer have certain sports. We saw softball, baseball, lacrosse teams, soccer teams, even some football teams that don't exist anymore, um, just from one year of college football being completely erased. Um, so they're not going to get rid of the tournament. Well, but how are they going to set protocols to make sure that they don't have these delays? Because that is the... The worst situation is obviously a canceled tournament, and the second worst is a delayed tournament, um, or a partially delayed tournament, or Check, any kind of break. issues there. Um, so we'll see what happens. But um, that's all the time we've got for college basketball right now. So we're going to go to another short break before discussing uh, the salary cap for the NFL coming up.
If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody. All right. I feel like it's been a little bit of a rough show today, so we'll slow it down a little bit more for this segment. Uh, we talked about some, uh, some Olympic COVID struggles, some NBA COVID struggles. Uh, and I guess, uh, I guess today's show is predominantly going to be dominated by some COVID struggles, unfortunately, uh, as the virus is raging yet again. Um, we'll jump to the impact on the NFL now. Um, as I'm sure many of you know, if you're a football fan, you're well aware that the NFL is in the midst of uh, their playoff run right now. Um, and uh, a little bit of good news, actually. The NFL playoff ratings did rebound a little bit uh, for some of the divisional round. Um, numbers for the four games were down year to year, but CBX, CBS, Fox, and NBC did have bigger audiences than they did for Wild Card Weekend. So that's certainly a positive. Uh, slightly smaller audience than a year ago. Um, four games on January 16th and 17th, two of which were on Fox, uh, and one each on CBS and NBC, averaged 30.63 million viewers. Uh, it's got about 7% uh, versus the 32.84 million average for divisional playoff games in 2020. The declines are on par with the ratings drop the league experienced during the regular season, so nothing shocking there. Uh, and they're a good deal, a good deal better relative to a year ago than the previous weekend's wild card round. The wild card games fell by 18 percent in the four broadcast windows, comparable to 2020. Uh, and there, there were also two additional games in that opening round which could justify the drop. Uh, speaking of those two games, we talked a lot on the show about potential strategies to increase revenue um, for these leagues in order to avoid the catastrophe that would be a lowering of the salary cap, which is going to be a real topic for this, uh, this segment here. Um, everything that the NFL is doing right now is to attempt to avoid uh, what will certainly be a drop in the salary cap for the 2021 season. Um, uh, and let, let's dive right into that salary cap because um, it really is a, 
a deep uh, topic to discuss. The salary cap for next year is being discussed to be in the range of $180 million. Uh, the lowest that they've stated they'd be willing to drop the salary cap is down to $175 million. That would be a drop of $23.2 million per team in comparison to 2020. Now, yeah, I mean, $23.2 million is a lot of money. Uh, you wouldn't want the salary cap to drop that much. But uh, what a lot of people don't consider, and if you're a longtime listener, um, you're, you're already going to know this, but I'll repeat it because I, I think it's one of the most important concept, most important concepts um, when it comes to these professional sports leagues, is that when they build out their contracts, um, the value of the contracts are based on an estimated increase of the salary cap year over year. Um, so it's the reason that you see certain players make $30 million, then 32 then 35 then 40 as the years goes on. Uh, that's because contracts are based on a percentage of the salary cap, um, and built in is uh, a logical assumption because that's what has historically happened, um, an assumption that the salary cap is going to climb year over year. Um, but with a crazy drop, like $23 million, talking about a 10% drop per team in the salary cap, um, it's going to have a ridiculous effect on what these teams are going to be able to put together. Um, the contracts aren't going to change. Uh, the players are contractually written in to be making a certain amount of money. Nowhere in that contract does it say you'll make 5% of the salary cap. It's just kind of assumed and built out that way. So what's going to end up happening is players who are free agents in the upcoming years, uh, or at least in just 2021, are not going to be able to make nearly the amount of money that they would have been able to make if the salary had increased. Uh, because the percentage that other players are taking up who have already signed their contract is going to be totally disproportionate to what they should have been making. Um, so with that being said, there's been talk by the Player Association um, and people around the league that the cap won't be allowed to drop that low. Uh, it could possibly remain in the range of $195 million. The final number, however, is it's just going to be a result from a negotiation between the NFL and their Players Association. Um, surely the players are going to want it to be as high as it can be. The owners uh, are going to want to have it be as low as it can be while they're still making money uh, and still providing the quality of play that you're accustomed to with the NFL. Um, but a, a league source from Pro Football Talk with knowledge of the situation has suggested that the salary cap could be in the range of $180 million. Um, at that amount, things could get ugly for plenty of teams and players, uh, and, and there could be a lot of problems moving forward. Um, for example, uh, a player like Ndokamon Sue, uh, who's on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are set to play this Sunday, uh, he was paid $7 million in 2020, a long-time established veteran, quality player, several all-pro teams, perennial pro bowler. He will likely, on the open market, get something closer to $3 million in 2021, and many veterans will only be getting $1 million per year. So the players aren't going to be happy about this. Now, do we think that there's going to be uh, some kind of revolt or some kind of strike? I don't think so. Um, 
But everything in these leagues needs to be collectively bargained, and that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see some collective bargaining, and uh, do I think we'll have an MLB situation? I don't. Um, And if you're not familiar or you weren't a listener at the time that that was going on, uh, there was a time when we weren't positive that an MLB season was going to happen. Um, The owners said they were going to lose too much money. The players refused to do it unless they got paid a certain amount, and it went on for months. And it did finally get resolved, but it went on for months. So lots of questions when it comes to the NFL moving forward. Um, We'll see what happens. But, uh, again, uh, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but not a lot of good news today when it comes to COVID and professional sports. Uh, I do want to jump and talk about briefly um, the Super Bowl scheduled to be in February, uh, and specifically Super Bowl advertisements. We talked about uh, we've talked about it many times on the show. Just speculation uh, at that point, though, what the cost for Super Bowl ads would be, how the NFL would be able to get through the COVID struggles, and and would advertisers be inclined? to buy advertising slots, commercial slots, for the Super Bowl, normally it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's the best place you can advertise your product. But this year, who knows? Uh, Who knows what the state of the Super Bowl will be? Um, Kevin Krim, he's the founder and CEO of advertising metrics data firm EDO. He said advertisers have been expressing concern over the NFL's postponement of regular season games. And they want absolute certainty that the game, the Super Bowl, will be happening on February 7th. These advertisers, I mean, they care about predictability. They they don't want things to keep changing. And obviously, the NFL knows that. The playoffs are too valuable. Um, The Super Bowl is too valuable for this to get disrupted. But to this point, they have yet to sell out Super Bowl ad slots, which are normally sold out months in advance. Uh, I don't think the Super Bowl will get postponed. I think the NFL's proved that in the way that they've been handling playoff coronavirus cases. They haven't been postponing anything, and I don't think that they will. I mean, uh, we saw the Cleveland Browns play a playoff game with, uh, without their head coach and their best offensive lineman. Um, so if that didn't lead to a postponement, of a playoff game, I can't imagine any issues with the Super Bowl. Um, that being said, um, the value of Super Bowl ads has been dropping. Uh, normally, um, you could expect a normal Super Bowl slot to be between six or seven million dollars, five to seven million dollars, I would say. Uh, this year, CBS is charging five point five million dollars. So. Um, that is on the lower side of the spectrum when it comes to Super Bowl ads. About, uh, over 80% of the package has been moved, of the Super Bowl advertisement slots have been moved. Uh, the heavy hitters like Toyota uh, and uh, a few others have already sold slots. But there are a few companies who are no longer interested in advertising at the Super Bowl. One of those being, shockingly, Coca-Cola. Um, as many people know, Coca-Cola has really been struggling through the pandemic. Um, stock prices plummeting. It's been difficult um, for such a retail-driven company uh, to be able to move product, uh, and so they've had less revenue coming in. 
Um, PepsiCo also will not be having advertisements during the Super Bowl. Again, another major staple. Um, people used to see Coca-Cola and PepsiCo going back and forth in Super Bowl advertisements. It was one of the biggest times for advertisements for the companies. Um, but again, not planning to advertise this year. PepsiCo is still the presenting sponsor of the Super Bowl halftime show, so they'll have a presence. But it's certainly going to feel weird to have some of these major companies um, not advertising as they normally would at the Super Bowl. Um, a lot to take in there. A lot going on with the NFL. Uh, here's hoping that this weekend's games uh, between the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Green Bay Packers, hopefully they go off without a hitch. I don't want any more COVID outbreaks. Uh, we obviously are always wishing the NFL and its teams the best. Um, and I think it's probable that these teams are able to um, to handle these struggles well and uh, and to figure all of this out. But it is going to be a challenge. Uh, with that being said, uh, I'll do a little introduction before taking us to break of our next segment. Um, and our next segment is going to be uh, the lightning round yet again. This week is a jam-packed one. There is so much to discuss, highlighted by UFC 257. That's the McGregor fight. It's a big one. Um, so we got a lot to talk about in this last segment, and I'm certainly excited to close it out strong with you today. So with that, we'll go into our last short break, and we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I would also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. And welcome back to our final segment, The Lightning Round, where we cover as many different Sport business topics as possible, as quickly as possible, trying to keep you up to date on every single topic that we can, keep you well-informed, and hopefully keep you entertained as well. Um, so with that, without wasting any more time, let's jump right into it. 
um, with the biggest story of this lightning round, Saturday's UFC 257 fight card, the main event, Conor McGregor's rematch with Dustin Poirier. Uh, if you're not familiar with Conor McGregor, um, that you should get familiar with Conor McGregor. Uh, Conor McGregor is a sports international sports superstar. Every single time he fights, whether it be in an octagon or a boxing ring, he generates the most ridiculous pay-per-view numbers that, the, frankly, the world has ever seen. Uh, and I do not expect tomorrow's fight to be any different. Uh, it's already drawn significant interest on sports books. Uh, McGregor is a minus 315 favorite over Poirier, and he's attracting most of the action. Uh, FanDuel reported taking a $190,000 bet on McGregor. Uh, Points bet took a $100,000 bet on McGregor, and Caesar Sportsbook has mentioned that 90% of the money bet on this fight has been on McGregor. Uh, Staggering numbers, and if you'll recall... Uh, one of the most gambled-on events of all time was the McGregor-Khabib fight, um, which, wow, seems like a lifetime ago now. Um, that fight was massive, and this fight will be massive as well. Uh, this fight already has 1.5 million pay-per-view buys, with the final number expected to be much, much higher. Um, so... Very excited to watch that. If you weren't aware of it, tune in to watch Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, this Saturday, UFC pay-per-view. You can buy it at ESPN Plus uh, through another bunch of various ways to buy it as well, but make sure you tune into that. Uh, Next topic in the lightning round, we're jumping back into the world of professional soccer, FIFA. uh, Not something we've talked about at great length on this show. Um, is the proposed Super League. Um, Super League is uh, it's a proposal for a new summer tournament um, that, that's not a direct challenge uh, to the International Leader Champions League at this stage, but uh, it's a brand-new summer tournament that's been proposed that would bring some of the world's biggest clubs together in an attempt to recoup some of the money lost uh, from the coronavirus pandemic. However, uh, just yesterday, FIFA, UEFA, and the other five global soccer federations announced a joint agreement that any potential breakaway competition would not be recognized as legitimate. Uh, The idea of the new competition seems like a great idea at the time, um, but with FIFA, UEFA, and the other global powers in the world of soccer opposing the tournament, um, it has become unclear uh, if this will be allowed to move forward. Uh, FIFA has mentioned that they would ban participants in this tournament from playing in the World Cup, obviously going to put a huge damper on the prospects of the tournament. And really, I thought it was a great idea. Um, any attempt to recoup some of the revenue lost during coronavirus, it, it's just going to help these organizations function at a high level. Um, sad to see FIFA uh, not allowing this to move forward, um, but to be expected, uh, FIFA has long been financially corrupt, 
several of their commissioners have uh, actually been charged with fraud before uh, international fraud. It's been a shit show um, from the start to the finish uh, with FIFA to this point in their lifetime. So um, fingers crossed that they can figure this out. I mean, everyone would love to see uh, more high-level soccer if possible. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I don't know. Uh, quick, quick touch on this right now. Um, there's not much detail to go into. It's, it's not super sports business related, but it is important for the business of sports to mention it. Uh, and that is that the Washington football team is set to make Jennifer King, the NFL's first black woman to be named a full-time assistant coach. Um, congratulations to Jennifer King. Uh, don't see much of a financial impact there. I don't think that this is going to affect the viewership numbers of women in the sport of football, but uh, important to note um, that milestone nonetheless. Um, moving forward, let's talk about Players TV. Uh, Players TV, it launched last March. It's available on various streaming platforms. And it already has over 50 athlete investors, uh, including Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and Carmelo Anthony. Uh, it is a distribution channel dedicated to sports lifestyle, lifestyle and culture, um, funded by and ran by players. Uh, a very interesting concept. Um, Damian Lillard is the latest investor. Uh, his investment comes with two new shows. Game, which will be chronicling his life, and Sessions, uh, which will highlight other athletes and musicians. Um, as always on Billion Dollar Ballers, we love to see athletes getting involved in the entertainment industry outside of their on-field or on-court impact. Um, I mean, there's no shortage of desire um, from the fan base for behind-the-scenes content um, regarding their favorite athletes. So it's great to see uh, Players TV thriving. Uh, Players TV, not a public company at this point, privately owned by all the players. I do not see that changing. Um, with that being said, uh, the profile of this channel has been raised extensively. Um, partnerships include Gatorade uh, and their new Bolt 24 product. Um, and, Toyota, and several other major brands hopping on board. So keep an eye out for Players TV moving forward. It seems to be uh, a disruptor in the industry right now, something run by players for players, um, and again, something great to see. Uh, quick jump over to the fitness industry, um, where Google recently completed their $2.1 billion acquisition of Fitbit, Obviously, this is a major acquisition um, and continues to signal the shifts that we're seeing in the fitness industry to not only at-home products, um, but also what I like to call the self-driven products. Um, so products that are, are going to benefit you when you're working out uh, at a non-commercial location, so anywhere outside of the gym. Um, we've already seen major investment in products. Um, such as the mirror, uh, the fitness mirror, something big that came out recently. Um, Peloton stock, obviously, in the last calendar year, skyrocketing. Um, and now Google with this acquisition of Fitbit. Um, so we're just seeing continued investment 
and these alternative workout methods. Uh, interesting trend to follow. Uh, always, always like to stay on top of what's next in the fitness industry. So, if you're interested in that, if you want to read a little bit more, it's not something we're going to dedicate a whole lot of time to on this show. But be sure to go. Uh, you can go to Front Office Sports has a few articles up right now. Uh, feel free to go check that out. Um, another interesting story. Uh, next topic. Again, a lot of these topics today we're touching on super briefly in the lightning round, but they're fun stories, and, and I want to give you the opportunity to hear about them. Uh, the next one is Thaddeus Young. Uh, if you're familiar with Thaddeus Young, longtime NBA veteran, um, and he is actually finalizing an agreement to purchase a minority ownership stake in the Brisbane Bullets. Brisbane Bullets. Uh, they're an NBL team, um, the uh, National Basketball League of Australia. Uh, joining a long list of players who have ownership shares in the NBL, NBL that includes John Wall, Dante Exum, Zach Randolph, Al Harrington, Matt Walsh, Victor Oladipo, Sean Marion, Kevin Martin, and actually LaMelo Ball, uh, who, if you'll remember, bought the team he formerly played for. Uh, interesting story there. Um, I mean, another great story of athletes taking ownership uh, in, in this way, in a more literal sense, ownership of professional basketball teams, which is not something that historically seemed possible for a professional athlete. Um, it's great to see that the players, as the value of the leagues and the teams and the contracts increase, um, making investments, reinvesting back into their sport. Um, and Thaddeus Young, again, good to see him joining the long list of players to do so. Uh, we'll close out today um, by talking about video games. Uh, again, I know a lot of people don't think video games are a sport, but we've talked about uh, the finances of major esports um, and just how much money companies are pouring, absolutely pouring into these uh, high-value video game acquisitions. And again, they're continuing um, to surge right now. Fresh off a $2 billion acquisition, Microsoft is rumored to want to, uh, to purchase a few more major companies. Uh, they recently purchased Bethesda's parent company, Zenimax, for $7.5 billion dollars. Uh, they have games such as Doom, Fallout, and Elder Scrolls. If you're anything like me, you have no clue what those games are or how they work. Um, but I can tell you that they generate a whole lot of money in the professional gaming scene, in the esports scene. Um, so with that being said, there seems to be an arms race of sorts um, amongst some of the major video game companies. Sony, Amazon, Google, and Electronic Arts, uh, commonly known as EA, they're reportedly seeking to acquire several new, uh, several new video game companies within this quarter um, as obviously the value worldwide of eSports continues to grow at an astounding rate. Uh, there's no indication yet which studios might get acquired and by whom, uh, but the last 12 months have clearly primed the market, um, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Final point of the lightning round for today. The global video game market is expected to see 
20% growth in 2021, reaching over $180 billion in revenue. Uh, so if you think video games are still a game, you might want to catch up to the trends right now. Uh, it seems like they're here to stay as a professional sport. Um, so with that being said, always good to be here with you on America's Web Radio uh, with Billion Dollar Ballers. Everyone make sure to tune in to that UFC 257 card and to the NFL playoffs this weekend. A huge weekend for sports. Um, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll break another pay-per-view record. That would be pretty cool to watch. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. But as always, I'm Jack Christodes. This has been Billion Dollar Ballers, and I'll be back with you next Friday at 9 a.m. Ready to go. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.